Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Manchester City 2, Liverpool 1. What an amazing game of Premier League football to wrap up the festive bonanza on Off The Sport. Welcome to another episode of The Gag and Pod. David Wiener with you once again. And what a panel we've got to dissect all of that drama this morning. Michael Bridges, welcome back. How are you? Happy New Year. It's great to be here. And I feel like I've played 90 minutes after watching that game this morning. It was incredible. What a roller coaster. Luke Wilkshire, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Great to have you here. And Alan Stagic, Matilda's boss, in brackets, Liverpool supporter. How are you feeling this morning? Not so good, but happy New Year to everyone. Uh, look, long way to go for Liverpool. They could have... It could have taken a big step towards the uh, title this morning, but look, it's still game on for another oh, 18 rounds now. We do. We have so much to talk about. Bridgie, you've just stepped off the set talking about that game. What's your verdict? What's your reaction? It was just a, a marvellous game of football. It doesn't matter whether you're a City fan, a Liverpool fan, or just a neutral that enjoys football. It had absolutely everything. The 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 possession, the defensive unit without the ball, um, you know, Pep and Guardiola, just the battle between them two, um, the similar styles of play. It was, it was just great to watch. And as a coach, when you want to analyse that, it's it's got everything. doesn't matter what way you want to look at the game of football. There was tactical changes between the managers which led to goals. And there were some outstanding goals and performances individually and as a team. And then there were some shockers, i.e. Lovren. And you know, Stach, he he had an absolute stinker. This man morning. of the match for City, he was. He was man of the match for City. But this is the difference: there's fine margins in games like this. The last one in October was nil nil. It was quite the first shot on target was 60 minutes into the game. This was completely different. And the record of 20 games unbeaten for Liverpool in you know in this season, but that record against City at the end he had not very good and that that's how it turned out and it was a it was a, a good result for the title race because it's still open and my team Tottenham are still in, in amongst that. <laughs> Luke big game big players and we're privileged to see uh, an occasion like this but also sometimes these games can fizzer out when you see the stakes at play but he had the big players stepping up and none more so than Sergio Aguero to break the deadlock I know that was a goal that took your fancy. Yeah absolutely I think it was um you know a really instinctive goal I think the the movement before he actually received the ball, knowing, knowing where that cutback, cutback was going to come, the movement around Lovren, who obviously did have a stinker. Um, but look, Aguero in the box, and he, he did what he does best. And like I said, to see see that coming before anyone else, to step around Lovren like that, and the composure he had in the finish was just top draw. Seven goals in seven games against Liverpool. 100% record for a striker playing against a team. I just think that is absolutely incredible. And as a gaffer, a manager, Pep must have thought, you're just playing, mate, because you play, you score against this team. Well, how about this? In the Since uh, 2011 and 12, and his time in the Premier League, against the big six, 37 goals from Aguero. The next best is 21 from Harry Kane. That shows the measure of the man. Now, Stag, roller coaster of a morning for you. Um, how do you feel off the back of that? 
is there a part of you that feels like there was something left in the tank from Liverpool or was it just such a game of fine margins that it could have gone either way? Oh, look, for sure, it could have gone either way. It was it was such a tight game. I think it was one shot on target each up until, you know, the 45th minute. Mm. Um, so it was obviously very tight and moments will define matches like that. But, um, look, I thought Lovren was poor the whole game. Um, you know, even in the second half, there were two or three incidents there that, that all resulted in chances to City from him. But for me... In matches like that, the ones that I've watched Liverpool play this year, when, when we've had Henderson and um, and Milner there together in the midfield, we just lack that little bit of creativity. Um, there's not as much flair. And I thought when Fabinho came on, it really changed the game. And I know we got a goal there and we caught one later on, but I thought Liverpool really only entered the game. In terms of having any type of territory or possession or creativity or momentum in the game. And I really think that that's the way forward for them. When I, when I looked at that lineup and I saw them two players, Milner and Henderson alongside, I think they're very similar players. But I just felt that Klopp had gone for the players that he felt would give them the more defensive unit in the transition moment and understood their roles better than some of the other players. But when you had to go and try and get something out of the game, Fabinho came on. On the ball, there's no comparison between him and Henderson playing as the six when he's, you want that. He's done that a few times um, away from home. He's played with them two more defensive in the midfield. And I think it's it's become pretty obvious when he's gone away from home. Maybe, like you say, if you look at what he was looking to do in the game, he was happy for a draw. For sure. Sorry to interrupt there, Dave. For sure. But in the Champions League, when they've played away from home, they've lost virtually every game and every key moment with them two playing. I just don't see it. With a team like that, there's enough creativity and flair and attacking intent that you can play with Fabinho. And if you caught one, I think you're going to score more. I think it's that's their philosophy. And then have them two playing. I think you're right, Bridget. They're just two similar. Great work rates, great yeah. work ethic. Uh, great team players, but together, I just don't think they're effective. Well, I had to laugh. I did have a moment where I laughed when I saw Fabinho coming on the park and he went to Henderson and he said the old English saying, we're going four four two. And I did laugh because I was thinking of Mike Bassett, the England manager, and how we run out to play the four four two. But we, we play with our wingers high and wide and the fullbacks don't get on. This this is a whole new system. It's like a four four a four two two two. And when Vinaldum and Marnie tucked in alongside after literally five minutes of making the change in the, the formation, it allowed Robertson and Alexander-Arnold both played a part in that goal because Danilo, um, Laporte, Company, and Jones all had somebody to mark inside the area because they didn't know who to go with. And it was it was just a masterstroke. And then Pep Guardiola absolutely ripped into Sterling. And he said, you've got to help out defensively. And you've got to help Danilo because it was just tactically brilliant to watch the two of them going at it on the sideline. But also fascinating because that then possibly as the game was getting towards climax, opened the door for Sterling and Sané to get behind Liverpool's fullbacks. And there you've got this tactical absolute fascination of how the game opens up. Um, Stage, everyone's talking about the 1.12 centimetres of Sadio Mane's chance. Extraordinary in the first half. An amazing move by Liverpool to play through City's press and then amazing drama with John Stones clearing it off the line. But what's the biggest margin or turning point here if we look back on it? Is it that 1.12 centimetres or is it, the conservative selection of, of Klopp to start the game. Look, I think in, in that move, Liverpool showed what they can do, and that was one of those moves in the whole game, uh, especially in the first half, uh, where they did a little one-to-one. Alden beat the initial press uh, when they went on to him in the back third, and then they got through to Firmino and Salah in that little one-two, which they're, which they're renowned for. Uh, you know, And then the ball in behind for any one of those three, when they combine, they're almost unstoppable. So the more you have a creative midfielder in behind helping set up those those moments... I think the more effective Liverpool will be. Yeah, no doubt. I, I can't agree more. Uh, I think, um, obviously, with those two defensive midfielders, was uh, the first half was, was lacking a little bit in attack, and, and that was the only real clear-cut opportunity. 
and Liverpool have that quality. They've got, they've got the creativity with, throughout the team. Um, and I think from my point of view, it's disappointing to see them go to that game against Man City where, where they've got comfortable, you know, lead at the top of the table. And why not go there and really take it to them and, uh, and try to win the game? Red card, Reggie? Vincent Company on uh, in the first half. Yeah, there, was, there was an interesting one in the first half. Um, Lovren got a yellow card when he brought down Aguero, which for me is one of them challenges where you say that was needed because he caught one for his team. He slowed play down, um, but the company challenge on Salah, I've seen them given. I think the only decision that the referee had saved his trailing leg had he'd, he'd gone initially to do the two footer, and I think Company had realised and he, he tucked his right leg backwards, so it didn't look like a a complete double double pegger, as I would call it. And um, I think he was very, very lucky to stay on the field. And he, there's not many uh, referees would have given that in the game of such magnitude yeah, because then yeah. they spoil the whole thing. There's a lot of pressure on them because they're all eyes are looking on this game and he wouldn't have been the man to be to get that decision wrong. Well, all eyes were on Vincent Company and the lip readers were too afterwards. No doubt what he called Mo Salah afterwards, just calling him a, a little pussy for his, <laughs> his theatrics going down on the ground. Um, but... We talked about the defensive midfielders for Liverpool, but on the flip side, Fernandinho was back, Stadge, and this was a game for big game, big players. He was immense. How big is he for them if they're going to peg back uh, City, uh, Liverpool this year? Is he as big as De Bruyne and David Silva, who everyone talks about? Oh, look, David Silva for me is the key. Uh, usually for Man City, he's the one that they can always play the ball to and have that know that they're going to keep possession, have that creative element in in the front third, but... But I thought they were better in that. I thought Man City was a better team. Uh, you know, they had more possession, more better possession, better possession in in key areas of the field without creating too much um, initially. But the longer the game wore on, with key players like Fernandinho and um, and when Gundogan came on, look, they just got so much flair. And you look at their bench. I, I still think it's a touch better than Liverpool's bench as well. Uh, people who can really come on and change a game. Uh, you know, Gabriel Jesus. Uh, did he come on? Or but look, you just got a bench did there it? that's packed full of talent. Um, who can really impact the game. And Liverpool's bench is getting better, but um, I, I still think Man City are the better squad. Uh, and that's why Liverpool really should have taken the game to them and, and almost had one hand on the trophy this morning. I think every City fan, when they saw that team sheet come out and the sofa and Dino playing in that position, were absolutely delighted. Because when Stones played in there two weeks ago, I had to check the team sheet in the formation and think, Stones playing in there? Defensively, off the ball, he didn't understand what his roles and responsibilities were. Finandinho knows that down to a key. And he gets paid a lot of money to play the ball from site to site, switch play. But it's about the transition moment. He knows what side of the field to be on. And um, it's, you know, for me, he's the diamond. Well, it's been 242 days, Luke, since Liverpool lost in the Premier League. It was 1-0 to Chelsea. But what happens to a player after just one result that goes against you? Their lead's still four points. Now, what happens next? I'll run through the fixtures just for a bit of context. City have Wolves, Huddersfield, Newcastle and Arsenal over the next month. In the league, Liverpool have Brighton, Palace, Leicester and West Ham. And on two occasions, Liverpool play first. On two occasions, City play first. So both times the teams will have to chase results 24 hours later. What happens from a player's point of view now? Look, I think, uh, you know, obviously Klopp's going to be there and, and try and get this, this out of their heads as soon as possible. They've got to move forward. There's still four points in front. Um, but... You know these these kind of moments they can they can change things and it's going to be in the back of the mind uh, that the, the the gap is closed a little bit now and they're going to go into these next next group of games and they're expected to win. So you that know, can be a dangerous it, thing though. It can, it can be a dangerous thing because when you're expected to win, you know, whether they step off the pedal a little, little bit, uh, maybe they get a draw or a result goes against them, and then really mentally, then you could see a big sway. And what I laugh at as well, Dave, is when 
players come out and say, oh, I, don't, I didn't look at the result. It doesn't matter what the opposition doing. It's what we're doing. If you're playing 24 hours beforehand and you see the result, you're going to know that result regardless. You can't switch off this day with social media. So that's a load of bullshit. You've got to, you, the, the pressure is on regardless. If that team wins the day before or on the actual an hour before kickoff when you're playing, you, you know the result. There was some cruel up-to-sport programming in the lead-up to the pregame this morning. It was the 2013-14 City-Liverpool game, which, of course, Liverpool won, but we all know what happened next. Hand on heart, Stadge, how are you feeling? I know you said there's a lot of games. There are a lot of games, but there weren't a lot of games in that season when Liverpool had the lead. Hand on heart, how are you feeling as a Liverpool fan? Look, I still think they've got the momentum to win the comp. Uh, Van Dyke for me, is the player of the year, and I think he's really changed the whole outlook of, of how Liverpool play. And over the last 10, 15 years, whenever they've been in contention, it's always been those matches against the lower-tier teams and their back four or goalkeepers who have gifted away cheap goals and, and always they've had to chase games in those uh, pivotal moments and I just see with Van Dyke hopefully Joe Gomez recovers pretty quickly and I, I really think he's the linchpin if he stays fit I think Liverpool win the comp Bridgie any tips Tottenham, Hot- Tottenham Hotspur <laughs> easy well there we go you're back <laughs> staying true to your word of last week just last one on this game Klopp said before the game and, and you know it's pretty uh, safe management in the press to say this that City are still the best side in the world having now watched this phenomenal game of football um, does anyone agree or disagree with Klopp? To you, Bridgie, first? I think Klopp was saying that. They both paid each other massive respect. They both said that they were the best team. One said the best team in the world, one said the best team in Europe. Uh, I just think you can take bits out of both teams and the way they've performed and basically say it's on a knife edge. When they play each other, it doesn't. it's about the game. There, there's no better team I can say stands out individually over the two of them this season. They were both on a, on a level par for me, and it's the fine margins that decide games like that goal line decision. Uh, it could have gone so much the other way. Going to go down as the why. You wonder who has more in the tank, and you see a team with Kevin De Bruyne who doesn't get out of his tracksuit. You wonder maybe that's the momentum swinger to change the season. Yeah, look, I think, um, you know, Stadge mentioned earlier that, that you look at their bench, and it is that little bit better than I think Liverpool's. And I think, for me, the, the quality and depth Man City puts them just that little bit, um, a little bit on top of Liverpool. So I think as the season progresses and whether it's suspensions and injuries, that could be a, a major factor. And Champions League reckoning. You just don't know how with League, with Cup, League Cup, FA Cup, Champions League, there's just so much to balance. That should have been the Champions League final. That was a game where everybody was just on the edge of their seat and um, hey, it can still... Can still happen. We've got a lot of fun to have over the next, was it five months until this season wraps up with those two teams? Absolutely brilliant stuff. Gents, we're going to move on. And uh, massive talking point this week, the transfer market opened. And I don't think, I certainly wasn't expecting this to happen straight away, where Christian Pulisic has obviously moved from Borussia Dortmund to Chelsea and then they've loaned him back for the rest of the season. Going to do a little bit of a role play here to, to work out who actually won this situation. We'll go for the player perspective first, Luke. If you're Christian Pulisic right now, how are you feeling? Yeah, look, I think it's a, it's a bit of a strange one for me. Um, obviously, it's a it's a massive fee, and and obviously the finances are playing are playing a factor in that. But the fact that if Chelsea really want you and want to go out there and spend that sort of money for you, but are not really needing you right now, and to send you straight back out on loan, I think it's a bit of a strange one. Well, he's only played uh, nine starts from twenty three this season for Dortmund, and it's actually probably his slowest season since he's burst through as a protege. Where Jadon Sancho has actually leapfrogged him uh, in the lineup. So, in that sense, Bridgie, when you also consider the shopping list of players Dortmund have sold to then still remain top of the Bundesliga, we're talking Mkhitaryan, Gotze, Lewandowski, Hummels, Pulisic now, Dembele, Aubameyang. 
It's unbelievable. So if you're Borussia Dortmund now, you're laughing because you have got a turnover and a conveyor belt of the youth system and the style of play that everybody is wanting to admire and everybody's wanting a piece of. And they have got this turnover. I mean, the, the profit margins have got to be up there with the best team in the world regarding mm. transfers and, and players that they've brought through the system. It's absolutely incredible and, and all credit to them. And when you sell a player and you get him back, that's a masterstroke. Absolute masterstroke. So they are absolutely laughing at this moment in time. And um, it's just great to see because the fan base that they have as well replicates what the club is all about. Mm. US press is calling it a monumental moment for them, but the German press is calling it absolute madness by uh, the Premier League outfit. So, Stage, if you're uh, Chelsea, what are you? Well, you are what at the moment? Look, they're obviously uh, investing in the future. Um, you know, I saw some comments from Sari where he wasn't directly involved in the transfer. He said he recommended him. Who knows whether that's true or not, but it's obvious that there's a, a future approach there and trying to future-proof the, the team for the following season. He's a young player coming through. They've obviously seen a lot of potential in him and someone that'll add value to their team. So from that perspective, they're looking after the future and you can't, you, you know, you can do nothing but admire a club for looking at having that perspective. But Stadge, they're talking about the future. There's 41 players at Chelsea are out on loan. Six of them are goalkeepers. In my opinion, I just think it's it's wrong and it's absolutely rotten uh, that they're allowed to do this. And I'm sure FIFA are going to come in and do something over the next year or two because this can't continue to happen um, and have that kind of turnover and players out on loan. I just don't see see the relevance. Well, take the um, financial fair play and the sort of business discussion of that out of the equation for a minute because that's a 15-minute chat in its own right. But look, if you're a Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, one of these young players at Chelsea who is sort of in and out the side looking for opportunities, and then another player has been signed in that situation, how are you feeling once you hear this news? Yeah, look, that's, that's frustrating as a young player coming through. Um, you know, you get your opportunity and then you get, you get out of the team and you're in and out. It does, it becomes frustrating and I think you'll see some of those players, if they don't start to play regularly, that, that they will look to move from Chelsea uh, to play regularly because as a player, you want to play and you want to play week in, week out. And look, on, from a Chelsea perspective, obviously it's, it's a business, you know, and they're, they're not just looking at football, it's, it's a business. Um, and that's where it becomes, you know, a little bit more complicated and, and frustrating as, as football players. What about the model stage? You mentioned Sari. He, he sort of was ambivalent about whether or not how much of a role he'd played in it. And you look at the way Liverpool's recruitment, just because using a, a the club we've just been talking about, has improved in recent years as Klopp has aligned with the committee that works on transfers and they've had a, a meeting of the minds and done this magnificent piece-by-piece building of this team. Sarri, uh, Conte last year was handed Ross Barkley. Sarri's now got Pulisic. It may work for them. It may suit them. He's a player that, you know, you can imagine if you've got a decent striker with Hazard and Pulisic either side, you've, with William and Pedro in the squad, you're going quite well. But as a manager, how is it working when you've got people above you basically handing you the cattle you've got to work with? Look, again, that's a, that's a long-ranging argument. You could argue pluses and minuses for both styles, whether it's a club-centered or a coach-centered approach. You can look at Liverpool over the last seven, eight years when they sold Torres and Suarez um, from my perspective, they blew a lot of that transfer money on the players they bought in um, because of the coaches who were in at the time and their selection. So, you know, it's worked with Klopp, but it can easily not work. And, and when there's a high turnover of coaches in some clubs in the Premier League, they tend to lose a lot of money in those transfers where players come in and out very quickly. So a club-centred approach where, where there's a committee that, that buy and sell players can actually work. Um, it means the coach has less influence and has to work with the players they've got. Um that's you know that's the environment you come into. Sari knew what he was coming into. If that's if that is exactly the model that they're working under, and that's what you've got to work under. Leon worked under that for 10, 15 years. 
while they were at the top of the French league and it was a very successful model for them and ended up being very profitable as well. So both can work. Um, one has a little bit more risk, uh, the coach-centred approach. Uh, the other one has a little bit more security and safety because you're taking the emotion of the, and the passion of the coach out of the equation. Um, but certainly both have their validity in, in the modern market. It can be detrimental for the player as well that's just got the transfer because if, let's say, sorry hasn't bought him and he doesn't fit in the plans, he could have been the one that said, well, tell you what, he's not going to play this season under me. Get him back out on loan um, because he might not be in the, in the manager's plans and the player might think, I'm getting a great move. When the manager doesn't want you or you're not his pick, it, it can be very, very dodgy. So like Stad said, pros and cons for both managers, coaches, clubs and players. Interesting what happens there. Interesting what happens with Eden Hazard. This could be a, a, a two fabulous wingers for Chelsea or it could be a replacement in waiting. We never know. So Luke, if to wrap this up, if Pulisic is worth 73 million euro, what on earth is Jaden Sancho worth? Mate, I'm going to pass that one on to Bridgie. 100 plus <laughs> million I mean, this is the guy, uh, Sancho, that not many people will have heard of or seen. And it's a player that has been broke on the scene and is actually keeping Pulisic out of the team. So that just shows where he has come from, what he's been doing. And now he's in the Champions League and he's been performing. Um, it's got to be triple figures. And this is a player, I think, and I could be right, I think they got him for seven million or something like that from City. So that bank balance for Dortmund is going to go through the roof, particularly if they keep winning trophies and doing all that kind of stuff with it. Moving on, guys, to our range of topics we're going to pump through at the moment, but we're going to continue on a similar theme uh, while we're talking about it. And uh, Alan, at the moment, Sari Ball is, finish that sentence. Look, it's lost a little bit of its effectiveness. I think it's very, very dependent on Hazard. Uh, their short passing is fantastic. I love watching it. I watched them play the other night when they had a nil or draw and just watching the actual quality of football was fantastic, but they actually had very little penetration unless it was um, you know, there were pivotal moments around Hazard breaking the line or dribbling past people or getting in behind. They really didn't look effective. And, and without, I think they're looking for a number nine. Without an effective number nine, I think they're going to be in a little bit of trouble in terms of being able to break through consistently enough to get enough points to challenge those top three. It's 11 goals in 10 games after that great start to the season. They had a nil all, I think it was against Everton, and it's 11 goals in 10 games since then as they now, reality sets in for Chelsea there. Luke, if Huddersfield go down and things aren't looking too good for them at the moment, Aaron Moy should get a move, get a good move away. Look, he's um he's been there, he's proven that he's he's Premier League level, um and I think he's he's worthy of a good a good club now. I think he's proven himself, and I'd like to see him get a good move if they do go down. So when Huddersfield go down, there's a club just not far from there, oh. about ten miles, that could be coming up out of the Championship in Leeds United. He wouldn't have to move house. It would be absolutely perfect. Get him, yeah, get him no, to Leeds. I think he. I think he's worthy of a top ten club now in the Premier League. Like I said, let's get him to Leeds. <laughs> Watch this space. A bridge. Still got to beat Wanderers first. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and Man United. Ridgie, after playing for Mark Hughes at Southampton, Ralph Hauf, Ralph Hussle is like playing for a genius because the the tactics that Mark Hughes had. And when you were watching Southampton, it was very defensive, absorb pressure and can we try and get set players? Since Ralph's come in, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his surname there. You notice that, Dave? <laughs> I'm, I'm backing it up for you already. The, pre the press has been magnificent. And it, actually the players are playing with a breath of fresh air, fresh air and the fans are enjoying it and they're going to get some results. They will not be in trouble. This is another guy that's come through the gig and press and understands what it's about and this is the way the game is going. And for me, he, he's, he's shown Mark Hughes up. The Alpine Klopp, they call him. 
normally you hear like the, the Iranian Messi or the or the I don't know what Ronaldo. Now we've got the the Klopp um, moniker going around for everyone, and you can see with his celebrations, he's taken a bit out of him as well. Um, Stage Manchester United's best number nine is. Well, look, my fantasy Premier League team says Rashford, <laughs> uh, so I've got to keep Rashford in there. But uh, look, Martial's done well when he's when he's played up top. Uh, he's been in the attack. Alexis Sanchez, I don't know, you know, I don't know what his attitude's like at the moment. It, it's been a bit up and down, and whether it's based around the coach, I don't really like. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That anyway, that you have a player in the environment who doesn't want to play regardless of, of what's going on behind the scenes. So you always want everyone putting their hand up regardless of what's going on in the background. And I don't know if that is the case or not. That's just my perception uh, looking uh, from the outside in. Um, so, look, Rashford for me is their best number nine at the moment. Was that current or was that in history? Right. Number nine right now. No, right now for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Obviously with the debate around Romelu Lukaku who's gone to the bench since he's come in and they're playing this high-octane, uh, free-flowing, confident, enjoyable brand of football. Obviously wasn't as uh, easy to execute against uh, Newcastle on the weekend. But I, I just love guys, um, Solskjaer's response uh, last before the game when he was asked about only having two fit defenders. And this is at a club where a manager kept saying, I need more defenders, I need to go out to the market. Just quietly, he'd spent 120 million quid on two who he wasn't giving much chop to. And he goes, well, I've got two, that's enough. Um, what does that do, Luke, to a, to a dressing room? Let's face it, some, you're seeing that kind of thing. It makes a massive difference, doesn't it, when you see that message coming through the, to the sheds? Of course it does. It, it breeds confidence. And they've got the quality and the, the attack and flair to, to go out and take it to teams and, and win. And, and they've shown that since he's come in. And he's brought that attack and football. And I think it's something that they all thrived on there. I think that, that's what was missing. And, and you can see the reaction from the players that obviously they got that confidence from it and they got that belief. Can you remember our dressing room at Bristol City under Gary Johnson? And how he would blame everybody and he would slag everything off. He would blame this and he would blame that. And our dressing room was a disgrace, by the way, because of the the morale was nowhere near in the early stages. It was it was horrendous. And that was all due to the manager and the way he portrayed himself on and off the field. And it didn't go down well. So it has a massive effect. And when you get a new manager in like Solskjaer giving you a belief, you express yourself. Your, your body language completely changes, and that's exactly what's happened at United. Well, Rashford, for one, looks like a new man, and we'll see who else that rubs off on as well. Luke, another one for you. Milos Degenek, the Socceroo defenders, move in the rumour mill from Red Star Belgrade in Serbia, Champions League club this season, to Al-Hilal is... Look, if, if that is the case, then it's obviously a money move. Um, that's pretty clear if you're there playing in the Champions League and... And you move into somewhere like that, it, it's clearly a, a money move, which for me, you, you, you can't deny, deny a player. Look, it's a, you've got a short career, um, you've got a family, you've got a life beyond football to look, look after. So, you know, I think it, it happens a lot. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if he does have a big opportunity there in terms of finances that he, that he might well take it. Well, he did say he wanted to win the Champions League this year. <laughs> 
we didn't know what team it was going to be with Red Star out now. So maybe maybe he's speaking the truth there. Yeah, well, they're, uh, they're a massive club. <laughs> they're, hey, they're a massive club in Asia and they've got some big players, big pedigree there, big history and lots of money. So um, good luck to Milos, whichever way that goes. Um, Stad, Brisbane Raw's next boss should or could be? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't actually I know. Bridgie's putting his hand up. Luke's a chance. He's doing a good job down there at Wollongong. So, look, I, I don't know. Look, I've watched the last couple of games that they've played and they seem to be playing with an, a renewed enthusiasm. There seems to be a lot of young players coming through now. I know that they're pushing a lot of their youth players who have been playing in the NYL uh, through to the first team, um, having knowing a couple of players up there. So, look, that's good for the club. I thought they were an ageing team last year. I thought they were too old. Uh, so it's good to see that injection of youth. Um, as t- as to the coach, I'm not so sure. I'm just glad to see the young players starting to come through. And from an Australian perspective, the more young players that get a go uh, when a club's in this situation, the better it is for the Socceroos. Young players getting a go and young coaches getting a go because Robbie Fowler's publicly thrown his CV into the mix. Should we be looking at giving young Aussie coaches a go, much like Mark Rudin got the opportunity at the Knicks? Yeah, look, I'll, I'll always back an Aussie. So, you know, Robbie Fowler's a good name and a big name in world football and obviously next Liverpool player. But I'd, I'd always back an, an Aussie or someone who spent a lot of time here or wants to spend a lot of time here investing. If Robbie wants to stay for the next 10, 15 years and invest in our football, for me that would be fantastic. But if it's going to be a one- or two-year job and then go back home and, and count it as superannuation fund, I'd rather just have a, a local Aussie who's going to invest in our game and invest in our young players. Robbie couldn't handle the sun the last time he was here. He didn't like the jellyfish. He didn't like the sharks. He didn't embrace it. So good riddance, mate. You're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> done. That segment is done with an exclamation mark from Bridgie. Boys, moving to uh, matters still close to home, the Asian Cup, which obviously kicks off this weekend uh, in the United Arab Emirates, where the Socceroos go to look to defend their crown in a group with Jordan, Palestine and Syria. Boy, some injury headaches for Graham Arnold to think about with, obviously, Aaron Moy, Aaron Moy out, uh, um, Matthew Leckie in doubt, Daniel Azani, Martin Boyle. Um, so there'll be some big decisions to make for him. Mila Yednak and Tim Cahill, of course, that era is over. Luke... <laughs> What's the expectations for the Socceroos? What is a pass and what is a foul for Graham Arnold's side over the next month? Oh, look, I can tell you straight now, um, the expectations will be to win it. Arnie, Arnie won't be making any excuses and I'm sure he's he's putting that to the boys as well. And uh, I think, I still believe that there's enough in that squad, enough in that squad um, to win it. It's obviously going to be tough. There is, is. I think uh, if you talk about a pass and a fail, I think at least to get to the final would be a pass. Stage? Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think Arnie would set that expectation for himself and for the group. So, you know, we're the defending champions. We've got enough depth in our team. Yeah, we've lost a lot of key players. Uh, hopefully Leckie will be right. Uh, I still think he's in the squad and hasn't been sent home yet. So hopefully he'll be fit for, for the knockout matches. And, and, look, he's such a weapon, uh, especially at that level um, against that calibre of team. I think he'll be a real weapon if he can be fresh and fit by the time the knockout stages come around. Absentees. Breed opportunity. So a two-part question to you, Luke. Uh, which of those losses is the most difficult to overcome? But then who do you expect to maybe jump out of the box in terms of maybe making a name for themselves? We saw the last Asian Cup was the making of Masluongo, for example. Yeah, look, you, you lose players and, like I say, it gives an opportunity for someone else and there's people that have come in. Naboot maybe will get a bit more game time given that Leckie's out at the moment. Um, you got you got the likes of Ecomenides who who come in and, and do well the other day. You know, obviously I think... Boyle's going to be a big loss. I think seeing him in those two friendlies yeah. back here in Australia, I think he's going to be a massive loss. That creativity and obviously the nows for a goal. Um, but look, like you say, we, we've got enough depth and I think there's um, there's a lot of hunger within the squad, which I think is very important. Stadge, uh, 
We saw Mark Milligan play in the last friendly against Oman in midfield after the discussion moving towards him becoming a centre-back. But we mentioned Milos Degenek before. Trent Sainsbury, it's a Champions League experienced central defensive formation. Um, what do you make of Milligan's move back into the midfield and the balance that provides, particularly with him wearing the armband? So you've got that experience in the middle of the park. I think that's a good three, a uh, good solid block. Uh, I watched Milligan play the other night. I watched a half game and I was flicking channels between that and Chelsea. And uh, I think it was Chelsea Christian. Dual screen, Palace. mate. You've got to have the two uh, up. I, Optus haven't provided that for me. <laughs> um, but just seeing the aggression in his tackles, the amount of ground he can cover, he's tidy on the ball. He's a good distributor. He actually ticks all the boxes. Uh, he's tough. He's unrelenting. He's experienced. I think it's a really good three. Trent Sainsbury, for me, could be a, a fantastic centre-back in world football. He's still only young. And Milos has had the experience this year of marking some of the best players in the world. So for me, that's really the key. And when you put Matt Ryan in behind it, I think we've got a really good, solid uh, four players there in the centre of our defence. I was really delighted um, after playing with Millsy at Sydney FC when he was a young lad coming through and just seeing the quality that he had on the ball. He's only thing that you would question would have been his attitude, but he learned so much of Tony Popovich. Popper would take him away, he would, he would help him out after training, he would do the extra yards. And it was so refreshing to come back a few years later to see how Millsy had developed and where he'd gone. And now he's on a different level and um, a true leader and just a great footballer. He is. And he, him remaining in the scene when uh, Millie Ednack and Tim Cowell have moved on, I think he's actually a really underrated and important factor for the side going into the tournament. So then we look at the 11, if there's a best 11 scenario. We've got Matt Ryan at centre-back. We've got Milos Degenek and Trent Sainsbury uh, in the middle of defence. Is it Ryan Grant or Josh Risden in your position and uh, Alex Fugersbach or has Aziz Bayic got a mortgage on that left-back spot? I think Aziz Bayic has got a mortgage on that at the moment. I think he's he's proven um, you know, over, over the past probably six months to 12 months, he's, he's locked that position in. He's played really well. So I think he'll, he'll definitely have that spot. I think at right-back, it's, it's a good question because I think um, obviously with Arnie, knowing Ryan Grant really well and obviously thinks, thinks very highly of him and understanding the formation – can he really play with that haircut? You cannot play a player with a mullet like that, surely. I, I actually said to him, I said to him after he made his debut, I said, said mate, now that you're, you know, you're a socceroo, you're an international footballer, you're going to get a proper haircut. His response was no. <laughs> with a decent number on his back just quietly, I think he's picked up, uh, I don't know if this is going to be official for the tournament, but I'm pretty sure he was wearing Tim Cahill's number in the last game as well. So plenty of confidence to don that haircut with that number in your international debut. Uh, moving further forward, Mark Milligan, are we talking Stag, uh, maybe an Irvine Luongo with him? Is that the is that the combination or, or or something else that you foresee? Yeah, it'll depend on where Rogic plays. Whether he plays as a nine, maybe as a a, a false nine. Uh, but I, I like Irvine. The amount of uh, energy it gives the team. Going back to Beach and and Gersbach, I think I think that's a real question on who plays better in the tournament. Hopefully, they both get their chances in the group stage. But both haven't played a lot of football this year. Um, I think they've both played less than 10 matches for their club. So I think that'll be a real important uh, indicator of who's going to play in the knockout stages if they both get their opportunities. But, but like, I like Irvine. I think he gives something different. He, he's not possibly the classiest player on the pitch, but the amount of energy, the amount of forward runs he makes, he likes to get into the box and get on the end of things. So he gives you that extra weapon from, from a deep-lying midfield position. Moving further forward, the key question is where are the goals going to come from? You mentioned Tom Rogic, who, thanks to Chris Sutton and Celtic, we've got fit and firing and ready to go for the tournament. Matthew Leckie out. Where are the goals coming from, Luke? Yeah, look, I think that's that's been the question for for a long time, unfortunately. But um, you know, obviously with no Timmy Cahill, that's a that's a big question. I think Matthew Leckie was was one. 
Um, but given that he's struggling at the moment, you, you start to have a look. But if you look, they've, they've scored some goals now in the past game to, to have a good convincing victory like that and, and a few different players getting on the score sheet. It's good because they'll breed confidence. And I'm sure they'll be working on that going into the tournament. Um, and you've got the likes of Naboot who can sniff out a goal. The Comanides had a great finish the other day. So, you know, I think Mabil also, he's, he's got that yeah. potential to, to nick a few. So, but for one man, it's hard to say. For me, they're going to have to come from midfield and they're going to have to come in abundance because I like, I like what Stad was saying there. If you play Rogic as a false nine, who can drop in, as long as you've got the midfield runners to go beyond to cause questions, that, that could be a very good tactic for, for Arnie and the Socceroos. Yeah, and with his... his committed to that three sort of uh, nines up the top um, and there seems to be a fair bit of momentum around our mobile so it wouldn't surprise me if he's a bit of a, a breakthrough star in the tournament as well so just a quick one guys to end it off if Australia doesn't win it because that's who we're all barracking for to get through um, who does who wins this, who wins the Asian Cup oh, Korea are the favourites for me uh, you know with, with uh, Son coming back in I think he's not coming in till knockout stages but um, well the third game I think he comes in that was the compromise yeah look when he comes in he's for me, the best player in Asia at the moment. So when you have an individual who can take the game by the scruff of the neck and provide those magic moments like we saw this morning, the players who can do that when the teams are so equal. And I think that the Asian teams played really well at the World Cup. I thought Japan were great. Iran were a bit unlucky. Uh, Korea, I think, are an improving team. And, and he had the form and confidence that he must be in. They really do become the favourites for me. I would love to throw a grenade and say Stad just talking rubbish, but it's it's true. If they can get through the group stage into knockouts and Son comes back, they they've got every chance of winning it. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't. I couldn't. I, I'd say that's that's a big threat for Australia. He's, um, you know, we saw the game when they when they come out here playing in Australia. They are obviously missing Son, um, but I think when he comes in, that could be a real big difference because they gave us a tough game here up in Brisbane. Yeah. Um, that was at home. And without him, so I think when he's in the team, they're going to go to another level. Right, this is very boring because I probably put them as my favourites too. But if, under Carlos Queiroz, Iran, this is probably their moment to win something with this generation. But I think the exciting thing about the tournament, there's probably four or five teams that um, will get to the quarter semi-final stage, whatever that is, and you'll throw a blanket over them. They'll be really hard to split and it'll come down to what happens on the day. So big month ahead for Australian football. Also a big month ahead for basically anyone that loves to read and get stuck into football content across the planet because the transfer window is open, like we said, and what a distraction it is because it almost becomes as big a narrative off the field as it is on the field. Before we talk about some of the, the, the links that have been made, guys, I just want to know what it is like being part of the, the football um, you know, the football world when this is really happening. We get to sit back in the media and some people would say make a lot of nonsense up or speculate and talk about stuff, but you have to live it. What's that like, Bridgie? The transfer window going yes. through as a player, it's, it's strange because you're always looking over your shoulder when you are at a football club to see who's coming in. Are they playing in your position? It keeps you on your toes or you're thinking the manager doesn't fancy you and he's bringing somebody else in. And I had a really strange transfer window when I was playing for Carlisle United. Uh, at the time, having a really good season, I'd moved down a few divisions just to get the love of football back again and play regular after so many injuries. And I was having a blinding season with Carlisle and it got to the final day of the transfer window and I was walking along Tymouth Beach with my wife and the dog because we don't sunbathe on the beaches where I'm from. You walk the dog and you let them do their business there. And I got a phone call at five o'clock in the afternoon from the Hull City chairman, Adam Pearson. And he said, whereabouts are you? I said, I'm actually up in, in Newcastle at the moment. Um, I'm not over in Carlisle. He said, well, listen, you've got two hours to get to Hull. That'll get it till 10 o'clock. And then we've got two hours to push the deal through. We've done a deal with Carlisle United and they've accepted it and they're going to um, let you sign for us. Now, that was back to the championship from Division 1. So I could not 
getting the car quick enough. I actually left me missus and the dog on the beach and I went and took the car and I drove there straight away. And we just got the deal done with five minutes to go in the window um, via a fax machine or probably Good old it, fax machine. It was incredible. Um, and I was very, very grateful. I, I was upset, but I didn't have a time to say bye to the fans. It was just the, the quick transition and, and you were gone. And um, it was a great opportunity to, to go back. So it was a weird day. Yeah, look, the transfer window for any player, you know, even if you're, like you say, said there, Bridgie, about is a player going to come into my position and you're looking over your shoulder a bit, you also have agents come leading into it, getting in your ear, oh, maybe I've got this for you, maybe I've got that. So it's it's, it's always there, it's around you. Um, and players are always, especially in the lower divisions, always looking for that move, looking looking to go further. Um, and I know for myself as well as a player, I, there's been times there when I've, when I've been going into windows thinking, I want to get a move here, I'm trying, I want to get out of here, especially when I was at Bristol City. <laughs> Under Gary Johnson. <laughs> oh, I couldn't get out of there quick enough. But what does that do to you personally, but also to the dressing room? Is it something that's tangible or is this sort of from an outsider and you sort of can read a bit too much into it? No, look, I think, um, you know, as, as professional players, it's part and parcel of it and, and players are, are looking at it and, and everybody knows that. Uh, everyone's aware of that. So it's, it's part and parcel. You deal with it, you work with it and you still got to perform because if you want your move, you still got to be performing during that window. It's actually very exciting even as a player because you're looking to see who's coming into fresh and things up. We signed Rio Ferdinand. It wasn't in the, the January window. It was the early window at Leeds United. Um, we signed this Rio Ferdinand, one of the best centre-half to Leeds for uh, 20-odd million. And we were like, wow, we have just signed a cracking player. This is one of the key positions that we needed to fill um, to play alongside Jonathan Woodgate. And I was just pleased that he was a defender and not a striker. But then the following season, you signed Mark Viduka and you realise you're never going to play again. <laughs> I've, I've said that before. He was just incredible. But it is, So it's got its pros and its cons, um, and, uh, but it is very exciting even as a player, I've got to admit. I look forward to picking your brains over the next month. This what ha- really happens when you cut through the headlines. But that's exactly what we're going to do now. We're going to look at some of the talking points. Uh, just a quick answer on would you rather, we'll sort of snap around them across the room, and Stage, to you first, would you rather Christian Pulisic or would you rather Callum Hudson-Odoi, who has actually been linked very heavily to Bayern Munich? I'll say uh, see Loftus Cheek. I right. think I think he's a player who should have come on the other day when when Chelsea couldn't break down um, uh, Southampton or Crystal. I can't even remember which game it was. I've watched that many over the Christmas period now. What, the nil or draw? They blur into one. Jeez, both games. Um, but um, look, Loftus Cheek for me is someone who's really got something special, and every time he's come on, he's provided something different and, and some good penetration in the penalty box for Chelsea. Well, that's a different answer. You can go see if you like, Bridgie. Um, final one on Chelsea because it says Fabregas. They're, talks that that was his farewell uh, on the weekend, waving to the crowd as he as he came on. If you were him, would you rather be on Chelsea's bench or would you rather help a mate at Monaco into Harry Henry but potentially get relegated? I think because of the age of Fabregas and the relationship he will have with Henry, I, th- I wouldn't be surprised if he leaves and goes to Monaco just to give them something and try and be, you know, play regular. Because come the end of your career, the last thing you want to do is just sit in the bench and rot. It's not about the money. And I wouldn't be surprised. I would say get to Monaco as quick as you can and go and help Henri out because Monaco cannot get relegated. No, that'd be bizarre. Please. Absolutely bizarre. Um, Luke, Aaron Ramsey, as an Arsenal fan, I'd, I'd be pulling my hair out because he's got Juve, PSG, Bayern, Inter, all looking to pick him up, be it for free at the end of the season or now. Um, if you were an Arsenal fan, would you rather hold on to him for the rest of the season or lose him for free to one of those big guns at the end of the season? No, look, I've I found this situation uh, very surprising. Obviously, he's a fantastic player, and to see him leave at the end of the season to one of those top clubs for free, I think um, you know any Arsenal fan wouldn't be happy with that. So, look, I think yeah, this situation, if he's not going to sign, he doesn't want to sign, then you've got to cash in on him now in the January transfer window. A hot tip? Where do you think he'll go? Oof. 
<laughs> Take your pick. I U- think um, UV. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go far. I wouldn't say you wouldn't go to UV Italy. Um, next one to you uh, on that note, uh, Bridgie. If you're Arsenal, would you rather a new defender, because boy, they've got a few problems, or resolve the Ozil situation? Ooh. Ooh. Resolve the Ozil situation. Key, key, key players uh, and the man that can win a game when he's, when he's firing all cylinders. I would like, I know Arsenal are struggling defensively a few, but a few issues. Um, I think Koscielny coming back will give them a little bit more once he gets more game time. Um, but Ozil, just a, a class player, can win games single-handedly when he's on song. So sort that out ASAP. Nice. And last one, Stage. Um, Harry Kane, he has made the most appearance of anyone in England in 2018. 35 starts, he played 38 games, and he's still up there with the top scorers. But in January, would you rather have for Tottenham a tired Harry Kane or actually bring in an attacking reinforcement in, from the market? Oh, wow. Look, they've been scoring so many goals. Uh, they're going to lose Son for, the, for that period. They've still got Lucas Moore on the bench, who I don't know is a, a midfielder, an attacking midfielder. Um, but he's just done the job game in, game out for him. You know, I wouldn't be taking him off until he's on his uh, last leg. So he, he's just such a great performer. He's He's been a real... A real Tottenham man. He's been there for so long now. You can just see he plays with passion and heart, and it's a whole team that's that's built around a great culture and a great environment that Pochettino set up there. So really, when you look at the club, they weren't all stars going in, but the team and the team unit to be up there with Liverpool and Man City, um, it's a fantastic team, and he has to play every game for me. Stad, remember, you're the manager. You've got to bring in a legitimate replacement in January with no budget. Yeah. I'm playing Harry Kane. <laughs> Bridgie, I know you're looking for a game, but... <laughs> Gents, last one to wrap off with a bit of a lighthearted note. on the Not during the midweek games, on the weekend, we saw a very funny incident with Fulham where there was a penalty fracker where Camera took the ball off Mitrovic and ended up missing and his boss, Claudio Ranieri, wanted to basically kill him. Said so publicly. Have you guys got any similar recollections from your career where you where something like that happened with a teammate and all hell broke loose? Can I start here? Go for it. Sheffield United. Steve Bruce was playing centre-half. I was playing for Sunderland. We had a, a left-back in Martin Scott, who was the penalty taker. And I'd scored two goals that game. We got a penalty in front of our away fans. And I grabbed the ball, like the little greedy hog that I was as a kid. And I looked at Martin Scott just to get the, the acknowledgement. And he looked at us and he gave us a wink back. And he said, yes, but you better score to get your hat-trick. And he looked over at the bench and he said, otherwise, that man there, Peter Reid's going to rip your head off. So he's put the pressure straight on us. So what I do, I put it wide and I missed. And I'll tell you what, Peter Reid in the dressing room nearly killed me as well. So I can, I can sympathise what went on. You've got to stick to the team dynamics. And if you've got a designated penalty taker, they take it. I made a big mistake. Yeah, no, I agree. I think in, in any team you'll have a designated penalty taker. Um, obviously, during the game, Something can happen where um, someone's not doing too well or you're comfortably up and someone's on a hat-trick and you're winning three or four nil, then you can, it can possibly happen. But you definitely need to go and get the, the blessing of the, the manager beforehand. Did you have one stage? No, I can't remember one off the top of my head. I remember those two players. Was it Newcastle? <laughs> yeah, Bo, you die. But it wasn't over a free kick or a pen. I, I just can't <laughs> that, remember it. But That was look, over the like, drinks the night before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, it's hilarious. But but you can just see that, that players want to, you know, that, that's their moment. And if he felt comfortable and confident at that time and then someone did and Mitrovic, so, you know, as Bridget said, when it gets to those moments, you've got to have a team plan and you've got to fall back on that plan. You can't have incidents like that because not only does it disrupt the, disrupt the moment, 
disrupts the team environment, you know, for, for ongoing moments. Uh, I mean, I will say when, when I took that decision, we were leading by two goals. We had a cushion. What minute was it? Um, 70th, I think. So still a bit dodgy. Do you know what I mean? There's still yeah. time to come back into the game. But with the Kamara and Mitrovic incident, it's nil-nil. Relegation. Relegation battle. That took a lot of kahunas to grab the ball and do that. And um, you know, thankfully, thing he did redeem himself and he scored the week after. So um, I think all things might have been smoothed over. Well, it could be the opposite. It could be Mo Salah, who's everyone's, seems to be everyone's favourite player, and hand the penalty opportunity to Bobby Firmino to get his hat-trick. And then you can have the reverse of that, where you just say everything's all lovey-dovey there at Liverpool at the moment. Well, gents, 45 minutes behind us. What a great chat. Thank you so much for coming in to Optus this Friday. And to all of you listening, I hope you enjoyed not just Friday morning's Premier League blockbuster, but the festive bonanza we've had on over the last two weeks or so. It's cup action over the next week and the Asian Cup. So it's a bit of a breather. But until we next have the next edition of the Gag and Pod, as always, enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.